welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. Hey, how's everybody doing today? It is, well, I mean, we've been out of a hurricane. We've had all these hurricanes hitting up on the Northeast and really bringing some rain. And I don't know about you guys, but if you have a dog who doesn't like rain, and listen, I got all these Rhodesian Ridgebacks. They were born in South Africa. Webbed feet are not always made for swimming. Sometimes they're made for sand and tundra, like the Ridgebacks. So seeing something and assuming it's a certain way for a certain reason doesn't always work well. So if you are one of those people who has a dog or a puppy who is not happy about going outside in the rain, although they're usually very happy to go out in the snow, for some reason, once it's cold, they don't mind that. But the actual raindrops hitting them, especially on a short-haired breed, you'll find that a lot of dogs who are short-haired, and I mean real short-haired, like a Ridgeback or a Vichla even, uh, a lot of them might not be more prone to wanting to go out into the rain or whatever. It's kind of like, I think, the way people tend to be in a swimming pool and then some kid splashes them and they're like all upset that the kid got them wet. But you're in a swimming pool. So with dogs, with particular breeds, you can find out what the right temperament is for you. Think about how many times when somebody starts and they go, oh, I want to get a dog for my family. I'm going to go get some doodle. And you don't even know what, well, first of all, those are, they're all, you know, mixed breed mutts. But um, the thing is that you have to be able to know what goes into the dog that you're getting. So if it's a rescue, great. Thank you for rescuing. If you're getting a good, from a good breeder, an AKC show breeder of merit like I am, If you're getting a dog from a really, really good source, then you know you're going to have that support for forever. But when you go and you get some of the mixes, you think like, oh, if I get a golden and poodle mix, so that golden poodle mix is going to be like, oh, it's going to be so sweet and it's going to be really smart because of the poodle and it's not going to shed. And really what happens, oh, and it's going to be extra, 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 extra healthy. But that's not really what happens because genetics are a funny thing. You can come from a family of people who are five feet tall and have a child that's six foot eight. And I've seen this because the way genetics is, the way the DNA combines, you don't really know what the genetic portion of of you, who you are, like the 23andMe or, you know, the the chromosomal uh, tests, the DNA tests for uh, not only just for medical purposes, but for fun and entertainment, people will say, oh, yeah, I didn't know I have 13% Scottish. I thought I was from Sicily. Well, you were from Sicily, but somebody somewhere along the line was from somewhere else. And if you had two people who each had 10% of something and then the child is born, they suddenly have 20%, and you wouldn't really know unless you did some kind of genetic testing. So that brings me to if you have a mixed breed dog, whether you paid four, five, six thousand dollars for a designer mutt, or whether you rescued, thank you for that. When you do go to, it's really the two biggest are Embark and Wisdom panel. I tend to do both because they have different databases. So don't just find out what your dog is because let's say you do a DNA test and go, oh wow, he's Golden Poodle and Rottweiler, which I've seen things like that happen. Um, or mixes of other mixes because it's not a breed, so you're just getting whatever 
you know, whatever they thought this was. You're not dealing with AKC papers and DNA tests. But what's really good for everybody to do is to DNA test them through those different venues. And even if you know or you're reasonably sure that you bought, you know, a, a half golden, half poodle, it's very interesting to see because we talked about the filial generations, F1, F2, F3, F4, et cetera, and how most of the quote-unquote breeders, because they're really not breeders if they're not breeding to better the breed, but most of these people breeding will breed, you know, one to the other, and sometimes you'll get something called an F1B. An F1B, there is no such thing in genetics. Um, I asked my good friend Temple Grandin. She said, what is that? She says, that's not a real thing. That's not a thing at all, Okay. So F1B doesn't exist, okay? What it's supposed to mean is it's the second filial generation, which is an F2 automatically. It doesn't matter who you breed back to. They use that. They call it an F1B because they know an F2 is no good. So when you get that 75% poodle and 25% whatever the heck else you're putting in it, that is an F2 because it can't be. Uh, an F1 is 50-50. It's just one parent versus the other parents, they combine, it's 50-50. Then even when you do the DNA testing, you'll have on an F2, it'll be 25-25-25-25, and you get to the next is 12.5, 12.5, et cetera. And, you know, it, that's really the way it continues to go down the line. But what people tend to forget, and this is why I think it's a great idea for you guys to look into either Embark or Wisdom Panel to not just check to see what breeds are in it, but go the full route, check it out and see what genetic issues, what the dog might be susceptible to, what might be in there. Um, the biggest misconception and, and outright lie with these designer mutts is that they're more healthy because they're mixes. Well, they are mixes, exactly, but the difference is that a purebred show dog breeder like myself, um, we do hips, elbows, thyroid, bear, surf, degenerative myelopathy, von Wildebrand's disease. There's like all these different things, juvenile cataracts, juvenile, you know, diabetic, uh, thyroid, all these different things. We do those because we want to make our breed live longer, be stronger, be better. So we spend a lot of money on genetic tests for every dog, and sometimes we'll do it for dogs we're not even breeding just to be able to see where the genetics is going. So if we have a litter of, let's say, 11 puppies, I'm not just going to test one puppy or two puppies. I want to test all of them because doing one or two, you can get very skewed results. For instance, let's say we do 11 puppies. Well, let's let's make it easier. Let's make it eight puppies. The chance of Picking one of eight and having that one have a problem are less, obviously. They're, what, 12.5 roughly. Um, so the, but when you get down and you start saying, oh, now let's do two, well, you have more of a 25% chance now of finding out if there's anything bad in the line. <clears throat> so if you can do all those puppies and they're all clear, the extreme chances are that, or likelihood, are that the puppies, Parents are also genetically clear because obviously if they, somebody has a problem, there's going to be a likelihood that the person who um, is testing it out has the integrity to not breed 
if you find that one or several of those puppies have a genetic issue. So hybrid vigor is what people think that a mutt is, okay? Now, and it, it may be true if you have, let's say, you know, a poodle mixes with, let's say, uh, oh, I don't know, a Ridgeback, and they're hideous. Oh, my gosh, I saw somebody had that brilliant idea. They're horrible looking. They're, they're so ugly. Um, this coming from a, long, a 40-year-long Ridgeback breeder, they are horrible looking. So that's great. So nobody's going to breed them because nobody would want them. But the issue is, more importantly, is that Ridgebacks don't tend to have any kind of juvenile cataracts or anything. Poodles absolutely tend to have juvenile cataracts. That is definitely something in that breed. So if you take a poodle, let's say a beautiful standard poodle, great dog, but it has its carrier for the, um, you know, juvenile cataracts. And then you get, let's say, a golden retriever who's a mother, and you say, oh, they're both, that's great. We're going to have a hybrid vigor. Well, if the mother is also a carrier, because goldens also have a gene for cataracts. So if those two combine, like my poor friend Karen, um, who had a mini whatever, doodle, uh, golden and poodle, mini, mini one, which means it was toy poodle, probably for the father, um, she wound up with having her her dog have severe juvenile cataracts that started significantly at a year, and the dog is completely blind now. Um, these are things that people don't think about. And when you're buying a dog, you're buying a puppy, it's real super important to find out from whoever it is you're buying it from what genetic testing there is. And, and remember, with AKC, we DNA them, okay, because there's the database for that. But you don't tend to have that when you have your local yokel, you know, puppy mill backyard breeder who is, you know, suddenly um, looking at, at, you know, making money and saying, why would I spend $2,000 on genetic testing? These, these schmucks buying these dogs for four or $5,000 that, that cost me $200 to feed and everything, and I kick them out at six or eight weeks of age, like, those people aren't going to care. And who knows if that person is even going to be breeding or stand by their dogs. I, I've only seen one time ever out of hundreds, and I mean hundreds, of times that people have bought these designer puppies from, from you know, you know charlatans. I've only seen one person ever claim to stand up, and that was a doodle thing in, uh, in New York City with a lovely lady, a uh, young lady who wound up having a baby. And this dog was, her name is Rue, um, this dog had all kinds of, I mean, it has bad thyroid, it had uh, liver shunt, it had severe behavioral issues, anxiety, hyperactivity, aggression, um, like I said, thyroid, it had uh, heart issues and cataracts. It, it got everything. But people think that mixes are good. Where they are good is when they're completely unrelated, completely unrelated. And you have to know what goes into each of those breeds. So if you know that the breed that you want has a juvenile deafness gene that has been seen somewhere, don't look at something that you're mixing with that as having a juvenile deafness gene because it's going to be the same thing. It's, it's just you don't you have a mutt instead of a purebred. So I think that's such a misconception these days because I see it. I mean, people look and they go, well, you know, you have purebred dogs, you know, they die younger. I'm like, really? My last, you know, seven or eight Ridgebacks, other than one who 
who got um, a very rare cancer from what she was exposed to, um, where one place where she was for a few years, um, and I adopted her. But other than her, I mean, the last, you know, six, seven, eight Ridgebacks I've lost, you know, 14, 14 and a half, 15, 13 and a half, 16, 16 and a half, 16 and a half. I mean, Ridgebacks don't live that long, but you know what? I bred them and I want them to live as long as is possible. So I'm so, so, so careful with them. I don't allow, you know, I wouldn't breed to something that I didn't like. I won't breed to a dog who's got, you know, juvenile deafness or juvenile cataracts or or any kind of hips, elbows, thyroid, bear, sort of any of that, because yes, there's a 50% chance that it will be fine, but there's also 50%, even if there's a 25% chance, why would you do that? Why would you do that? It just doesn't make any sense when they're healthy and, and really well-behaved, nice temperament, you know, healthy, good conformation dogs out there that you can get. So don't assume that because you're getting a mutt and then you're paying five, $6,000 for this mutt that it is going to in any way, shape, or form be a good dog. It might be okay temperament-wise, although the doodles, all the people complain um, constantly uh, to me. And remember, nobody brings me the best dog in the world. People bring me the dogs that it, nobody else can fix, that the local dog trainers can't fix, that their vet can't medicate out of. Um, they bring me those dogs. And I see a preponderance, a ridiculous number of uh, and percentage of the doodles and, uh, and different mixes that are because they're poorly bred. So think about if, if I were breeding, if, not that I ever would, but if I were going to breed, you know, some mixes, I would, because I'm me, first thing I would do is I would get every health clearance known to modern man on both dogs. I would go back and I would check to see any of the genealogy to see if any of the other, um, you know, dogs that were in the background in the past had any issues. I would do an intense temperament evaluation over the course of six months or more with everything. I would make sure that those dogs were both not only genetically sound, not only physically sound, not only temperament and behaviorally sound, but I want to make sure that they're going to be a strong dog from the beginning. That's where we get into sometimes over-vaccination, which I know we're speaking about on um, my TV show, so we'll talk about that too. But for now, let's stick with the kind of knowing what to do. So when you guys are looking for a dog and you say, wow, you know, either you lost your other dog or this is a first-time dog or you lost your other or you just want to add to your pack, first thing to do is look at your lifestyle, look at what's important to you. Don't look at, oh, look how cute it is, look how fluffy it is, look how whatever. Look at the dog and say, what do I need to live with in my life? What do I, like, what would be the best thing for us to do, right? So that's kind of the thing, if there's a thing. The thing is to be able for us to always know that we're getting a good, healthy, good temperament, good, solid, well-bred, good dog, regardless of where it came from, okay? I've seen Connie Corso. There's a Connie Corso I worked with. I don't think I'd have him. He was a little edgy, but he was a great dog. 
Would I have one? No. But are they great dogs for some people? Absolutely. Um, a lot of people couldn't handle Ridgebacks because they're smarter than anything you're going to be able to marry. So if, if the, you want that dog, then you look it up. You don't look for somebody who has a puppy available. That's one thing. That's why pet, pet stores that sell puppies, the puppy mills, they always have puppies because they want you to come in. They usually get them from the mothers when they're six weeks old. They lie to you, and they'll tell you that the dog is older than it is, but it's not. And your veterinarian can be enormously helpful on that because your veterinarian should be able to tell what, you know, what the age is and, and all that. But a lot of times, you know, I've seen it in uh, pet stores where I look at a puppy, you know, for a client or whatever, and I'll look at the puppy and I'll be like, this puppy's not more than six weeks old, and it came in a week ago. And they'll, they'll say, like, well, no, but it says it's ten week or nine weeks old. No, it's not. I know because I know where the teeth should be. I know the temperament. I know what phases they should be in. It's very, very glaringly obvious where they are in their development. So people can tell. If you know what you're looking at, you can absolutely tell. So get yourself a good veterinarian. So if you're going to look for a dog, go on the akc.org website. They have a really good tool there. Um, it's like find a puppy, but they, they ask you questions. And you basically, it's like a little survey, and they'll say, you know, how many children in your house and what ages? And, you know, do you have a fenced yard or do you live in the country? Do you live in the city? Do you have an active lifestyle? They'll ask you all those questions not as many as I will ask you if you wanted one of my Ridgeback puppies, but I will do that and, and grill people. I have people coming over when I don't have puppies so that I've already approved those people. And then when I have a good group of people together and I want to keep a couple to show, that's when I breed. I don't breed to have puppies on demand, you know, constantly. I breed to better my breed. I breed to have better dogs, to have them live longer, to have them have better temperaments, to have them have better health, to make them easier to train, to make them easier to handle, to make them better with children or cats or whatever. And that's what a good AKC show breeder of merit will do. The reason it's so important, because this drives me nuts, people say, oh, I don't care if it's a show dog or a show dog line. I just want a good pet. That is the literally the most naive and just ridiculously just skewed view that you should ever have. If you want to go get a dog, you do want a dog whose parents were champions and have all their health clearances. Absolutely or at least most of their relatives, because if a dog doesn't have a sound temperament and isn't a sound mover and isn't really a good representative of the breed, it means that dog might wind up with, you know, heart issues if it can't get around the ring. If it has cloudy eyes or bad teeth or if the dog has a bad temperament or if it's anxious or it's aggressive or the dog, you know, has a limp to it because it's got, you know, an OCD lesion or because it's got you know, um, dysplastic hip or elbow, all of those things, you won't know if your dog gets it. And hey, if you rescue and you don't know anything about the dog, okay, fine. But at least you're not spending four or five, six thousand dollars on a mutt. 
Um, you're, you're buying something, you're rescuing, you're saving its life. Um, the problem is not that they're mixing them, although I don't agree with it. The problem is that the people who are doing this are not checking them because the people doing this just want to make money. That's all they want. They want to make as much money as is humanly possible. They will breed those females every heat cycle, which is usually every six months, twice a year, right? So they go through the heat cycle. They breed the bitch. The bitch has the puppies, whether it's two or three or whether it's 12. They breed them. They sell them. They get them out of there fast because if they keep them too long like I do, you got to put all their vaccinations on them, which is very, very expensive. And then on top of that, not only that, but the food is crazy expensive when these guys, I mean, our little potato who I'm keeping, we call him tater tot. Um, he is 44.2 pounds and he's just 17 weeks old. He's ginormous with the Ridgebacks. It's usually about two pounds for every um, week old they are. So if he's 18 weeks, he should be 36 pounds at the, at the most. Um, and so 17, it should be 34, which is the rest of the litter. So I'm watching out to make sure that his growth plates are, are basically growing properly and not growing too fast, especially on one side versus the other. And those are important things. So my whole litter of puppy buyers sends me weekly photos of the puppy's growth plates from the front and from each side. So I can take a look and make sure that the growth plates are growing properly, the legs, the bones, and the muscles are growing properly. This goes into and very strongly ties into why you should not stay or neuter very, very young. It used to be that they were doing that all the time, but what they're finding, the medical community, veterinary community, was finding that there were a lot of heart issues, there were a lot of long bone or, or connective tissue disorders, um, their organs and, and different body parts weren't developing the same. Um, and I know with horses, when we would geld or castrate uh, a horse, a stallion, they will then start growing very differently. Instead of growing bulky, they'll get a little taller and thinner. So the hormones are put into the body in order to help us and, and our bodies to help us to be able to grow and for our hearts, our, our limbs, our muscles, everything in our, all our organs to be able to grow properly. So even if you have a mutt and you bought like a doodle thing, don't, don't spay or neuter it at, at six months. Unless that dog has severe aggression, which I've certainly seen a lot of them having that, but, but all right, then we try it. But remember, if you spay or neuter too young, you're also creating a situation whereby, let's say you had a dog who was fearful and was starting to turn fear aggressive. If the dog is fearful and you neuter it or spay it, it tends to get more of that because when you neuter or spay, you're removing the hormones and you're removing the, the animal's confidence, right? Because the testosterone was what was making the animal feel more confident. There's also something called cryptorchid. Cryptorchid is when one testicle is undescended. It can be two, but it's usually one. So if their testicles don't descend, not only can't they be shown, so they wouldn't be in the show ring, so they wouldn't procreate and create more of the same problem, 
but also um, they they can be very aggressive um, with horses. Uh, it's it's dangerous. It's it's dangerous. I mean, I have my friend Rima. Uh, she had um, a crypt orchid, gorgeous gray, um, supposedly gelding, and he was just vicious, and he was trying to attack her and everybody. And I went in to look at him, and I said, "I'm just curious, Rima. Did he definitely get gelded?" She said, "Oh yeah, we bought him when he was gelded." I said, "He's seeming to me like he's crypt orchid. He's seeming to me." Like there's something more, like there's something wrong with this guy. So basically, long story short, um, the veterinarian did an ultrasound and found that darn testicle up in the abdomen. You know, so that's exactly what happened. And that does happen with, with dogs and puppies as well. Um, again, it's not often, but, you know, I don't get dogs that, you know, clients who come to me with common problems. I get the ones who come to me who have, you know, issues that are pretty significant. So I hope that explains to everybody a little bit more about what the, you know, the gist of that. But yeah, it's, it's pretty tough. Now let's go through some of the good characteristics that let's say you have two young kids and you want to get a puppy or a dog. So you want something that's not going to be crazy shedding. And, hey, I get it because I have all these ridgebacks. And if they shed it a lot, I would totally, totally not go for that. I would not have a dog like that. I, I just don't like a lot of hair. And I do sleep in bed with my dogs. So I don't like hair in my bed unless it's my hair that fell out in the middle of the night while I was tossing and turning trying to create some new and wonderful invention or deal with some you know, trying to trying to fix the stupid in the world. But one of the kind of things that I wanted to go into that my good friend Thomas said is I'd like to talk a little bit about how to choose a dog for your family, like what kind is best. We talked a little about the AKC situation where you can go online and look at that. Please don't look at designer dogs, okay? Most of them, the vast majority, are living in terrible conditions or they're um, being bred and bred and bred and bred over and over and over and they're just pumping out puppies and it's really kind of heartbreaking and kind of despicable. So let's try not to do that. So let's go back to family. So we have two children, two young kids, let's call them two girls that are three and seven. So it's not that you can't get something, but remember a three-year-old especially it's going to be really tough to say, honey, don't do ABC because the child is going to forget. The kid's three, right? So it might be better either for you to wait until the child is, let's say, five or six, depending on the developmental stage that your child's in. But if you insist on getting one, that's where you can look for something and and don't look for necessarily a puppy. Look for something that's a little older, maybe six months a year, two years old. And the kids are going to love whatever dog you bring for them. They're going to love anything, right? Because it's from you and it's a dog. They don't care what it is. Like that song, don't care who who you are, where you live, uh, or what you did, where you live, as long as you love me. Kind of that same thing, right, Justin? Um, It's... You know, you don't need to care where they're from, what happened, blah, blah, blah. 
but you need to know where you're going. So it's not always important to know where you've been as where you're going. And what I see, the biggest complaint that I have against, you know, people who are buying these designer dogs and doing and, you know, over, over buying a dog or, or adopting, you know, a 150-pound Corso or, or Presa Canaria, um, instead of that, you know, start visiting your friends who have dogs. Start, you know, going to, um, even going to a pet store. Well, I don't want you to a pet store, but go to the Meet the Breeds, the AKC Meet the Breeds thing, which is really a wonderful, wonderful um, group of people. Um, and, you know, it's, they, they show the dogs, they have them there for you. You can get down and play with them and learn about the temperament from breeders who are great at what they do. So that's always a fun thing for people to do. Um, you can also go on the AKC website. Now, if you do want to rescue, then I'm going to tell you something. Stop looking on PetFinder. PetFinder is wonderful, but stop looking for a dog and shipping it from Utah when you live in New York State because you don't know what that dog is like. That is literally like seeing a picture of somebody and not even being able to talk to them and saying, okay, I want to marry him or I want to marry her. I, I mean, how can you make a decision you don't know? So always go to see the puppies wherever you are or go to meet the dog. Don't take a dog sight unseen. If you remember nothing else about today's show, but that, that is dying. That is enough. That is totally enough. Just remember that when you purchase a dog or when you rescue a dog, at least when you rescue, you're it's like adopting a child. There are plenty of children on this earth if everybody would, you know, be like us and want to, you know, adopt them. We have them already. We're, they're here already. Why do we need to make more, especially with the uncertainty with COVID and, and our just our society that's gone to hell in a handbasket? So important things are, Make sure that you know that your family is ready. Don't get a dog or replace a pet right after within weeks or even a couple months. Wait long enough where your body is able to kind of take in everything. It's able to understand like, oh, okay, I get it. And that's what you need to do. You you don't want to start where, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, oh, my gosh, I hate him and I, I hate this about him. I hate that about him. It's, it's the same thing like with a dog. You want to be able to look at the dog and say, you know, he seems very quiet. And, and if you can get a dog from a rescue instead of a shelter, I mean, shelter dogs can be great too. And some of the shelters really know their stuff. But if you're going to get, you know, get a dog and bring it back, make sure you meet that dog before you take possession and ownership. Because if you don't, check it out, it's kind of assumed that you're not the brightest bulb in your chandelier and, you know, you're, you're going to have some issues potentially. So I think what I'm trying to get at is to tell you to be smart. Um, if you're looking at a mixed breed dog, that's great, but it's really best to pick the rescue you want to deal with. Um, we had a few weeks ago, we had Dana from Incredible Pups Pet Rescue. And that was really cool because you know, Dana was talking about some of her experiences, and she was also, as a rescuer and as having facilitated and started a rescue, she was in a unique position to be able to uh, explain to you what to look for. 
But remember, she can only tell you, and I can only tell you how we feel um, and how that, um, you know, about a particular dog or about a particular situation. And the dog is going to be in your family. The dog is going to be a, a part of you and a part of your family. So, you know, if you just, you know, like I've seen this happen so many times, you know, you see people who um, are saying, you know, oh, well, let's, you know, let's just get that dog, look how cute he is. And you get him in from Nebraska or from Georgia or wherever, and he comes up, he's shell-shocked, and, you know, you do, you do things that you would assume the dog would like, and the dog bites your kid in the face. And then you euthanize the dog. Were, was that really a good idea to get that animal? And that's the answer is no. You have to think about not only the, the obvious things like, you know, whether the dog is, you know, the right size and, you know, whether it's young enough and, you know, it's going to fit in with that stuff with your family. But I think almost more importantly, it's just so critical for everybody to try to think about not just where you are today. Remember, we were talking top of the hour. Where are you going to be in your future? Are you going to get married? Are you that age that you might start wanting to have kids? Because as much as I have seen the most amazing dog parents ever, and they're like, you know, they're engaged or they're married, and they're like, oh, this dog is going to be my baby. I'm never, ever going to get rid of this dog. Let me tell you, when you have your own baby, between you, your in-laws, and everybody else with their opinion, and if that dog does something, you are not keeping that dog. And what's more, your baby better come before anything else, including your spouse. So if you buy a, you know, or, or adopt a dog and you're of childbearing years or you have young kids, just remember that you have to be able to provide for that dog for the rest of its life like you vowed to protect and provide for, you know, everybody in your life and two humans. Um, it, it is just one of those things that I, I can't even imagine um you know, that, that people do this, that people will say to me, well, I just wanted it because it was cute. I was like, buy a stuffed animal. They're really cute. But don't get an animal that, you know, is, is not the right animal for you. And then you end up giving him away and ruining his life or euthanizing him because he did something because you got the wrong animal and you didn't know what to do. So you basically inflicted your will on this poor animal and then the animal winds up being in a bad situation and does something and there's your problem so um i would like to continue and we're going to after the next uh you know few minutes and we're going to just break for a quick announcement um and also i just want to also tell you make sure you get your dogs on good healthy food no corn wheat soy bha bha byproducts, propylene glycol, et cetera, red dye 40 and all those. Um, and I know a lot of people have been asking over since Dana was on from Incredible Pups, they've been asking about the vitamin supplement that I use um, that enables my dogs to live so long. It's called NuVet, N-U-V-E-T, N-U-V-E-T, like new veterinarian. It's NuVet.com. And the vitamins, for those of you who just wanted the vitamins, are the canine wafers. 
and the ones for the hips and elbows and joints and even back issues are called new joint and new joint, J-O-I-N-T. Um, but another part of that is if you're calling up and you're getting them, you can get our discount code, which is 86686. Again, that's 86686, which um, then we can kind of keep an eye on making sure that everything that is uh, supposed to be will be. Um, but that is the best vitamin supplement and the best joint supplement that we've ever seen. Um, there are a lot of chewables. These are chewable wafers, like little, that's all I can explain. They look like a little Nilla wafer or, or a giant quarter or something. They, they have the roundness to them. But it is really important to make sure also that you know where your emergency vet is, specialty vet, and that you have a good relationship or rapport with, if you can, one doctor veterinarian, because if you do that, and your, you know, veterinarian, um, you know, recommends stuff, you know, at least you know when a veterinarian recommends it that it's a much better chance that it's going to be a good quality product other than some of the science diet food that they sell. But, you know, when you're going to buy a, a puppy or, or get one or get a dog, you think of it like shopping for a new car. It's going to be a while till you probably shop for another one. But it's also the case where, when you are looking for a dog, you got to click with the dog. That's why I was saying pick a rescue group that you like to work with and then ask them, say, hey, I'm looking for maybe a dachshund or dachshund mix a few years old, maybe a boy, maybe a merle. And what's going to happen is, you know, you and, you know, you and JT or you and Amanda, or you and one of the, one of our team members, um, if you had, um, you know, questions, we would be able to answer them. But uh, your veterinarian is probably your best source um, for any questions you have. And you can always call us, too, or email us at the station. You can also email us at the letter K, the number 9, behaviorists, with an S, at gmail.com. And we'll be back in a few minutes with a slightly shorter but equally wonderfully awesome knowledge-building section for, from, from, uh, for the love of dog and from shelter dog to service dog. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog with Janice Wolf. I'm still here. <laughs> well, we talked a lot about a lot of crazy things going on and, um, you know, different ways of knowing what you don't, like which dog to pick. But I want to take that in because Thomas wanted to know this. I want to take that into not only what makes a great service dog, but how to handle if you bump into somebody with a service dog, 
because that's something that we are, as humans, always looking at. Oh, look, there's dog in the library. It must be for reading. I can pet it. Oh, look, there's dog in the hospital. must be a therapy dog. Oh, look, there's dog in the supermarket. must be somebody's dog that I'm allowed to pet. And a real service dog, nobody will let you pet. I never, when, when my dog is working, I don't want my dog distracted by somebody petting or making goo-goo eyes at it and making stupid sounds at it to try to distract it. Why would you do that? That's like, you know, trying to distract somebody who's, you know, using a, a cane because they're, you know, visually impaired and you're trying to like kick the cane out from them. Why would you do that? You really shouldn't. So some of the things that are important are if you see a dog in a place you would normally not see it, do nothing. Just let it be there. If it has a vest, which usually people do that says pet me, you know, therapy dog or whatever, pet me, then then that's fine. But assume that if you see somebody with a well-bred, well-behaved dog, and well-bred doesn't mean only that it was purebred, but it wasn't, you know, genetically so flawed. So if you see somebody in a public place and they have a dog, why would you automatically go up to it and pet it? Why would you go up and say, can I ride in your wheelchair? Can I kick you out? Or can I ride in your wheelchair? That's kind of what's going on. So what we want to do is not be a distractor for anybody who has their own service dog. Because if somebody has a service dog and they're in that public place, first of all, especially if there's a child or somebody kind of tethered, you're going to definitely distract that dog from what it needs to do for that person or that child. But more importantly, the other part of that is that when you um, distract the dog, especially if it's a, a dog that's, you know, really required, like let's say somebody who has seizures, somebody who's got mobility challenges, somebody who's visually or, or auditorily compromised, you are now endangering that person because now that person can't focus or the dog can't focus or both. And why are you asking somebody if they didn't have the dog, would you be asking them? That's usually what I'll just tell people. Does it make sense that if the dog is there, does it make sense that maybe just ignore the dog? Don't make a big fuss. You know, don't have a whole thing going on where, you know, you're you're all like, oh, my gosh, look at how cute. Oh, my God, I love this. Because you're making yourself look silly, but you're also potentially causing, you know, damage or, or an issue for that, that person who has that dog. So what are things that are okay to ask? From a distance, you can all, you can smile, you can say hi. But I, I tell people just, you smile at me because you would have smiled at me anyway. Don't look down at the dog and try to be like, oh, I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to touch the dog or distract him, but he's so cute and I love him. Oh, my goodness, he's so pretty. I mean, we appreciate that. I know I appreciate when people notice my best-in-show dog, who's my service dog as well. Um, I appreciate that they can see how beautiful the dog is. I already know that. Thank you for that. But... You're distracting not just the dog, but you're distracting the user of the dog who has that dog for a purpose. And please don't ask people, oh, what, what's wrong with you? Why do you need a service dog? Don't ask them. It's not your business. 
That's like going up to somebody and saying, hey, when's the last time you had, you know, relations with your wife? It's not your business. Oh, when's the last time you had a bowel movement? I mean, I know I'm being really silly and a little gross, but that's literally how personal it is. And it's nobody's business. That's like walking up to somebody, you know, who's handicapped and saying, how long have you been in a wheelchair? Like, first of all, it's rude. It's obnoxious. It's extremely narcissistic. But it's just cruel. And it's none of your business. So kind of, if you want to smile at somebody, I I always like when people just look down at the dog. They look up at me. They might say, oh, he's beautiful. Thank you so much. And I keep going. But please don't stop me. Please don't stop somebody who's got a legitimate service dog. If that dog looks like it's focused on the owner and it's super well-behaved, and I don't just mean it's like sitting there on a leash panting and rolling around on its back because that's not a service dog either. But if you see somebody with a well-behaved dog that is obviously doing something or focused on the owner, the best thing you can do is just, just smile and keep going because I am there, and, and let me tell you, from a very personal standpoint, it's it's not only embarrassing to have the dog because, you know, I don't, I mean, I, sometimes I'll go out without my dog, and I know I shouldn't, but I just don't want to deal with people. I don't want to have people staring at me going, oh, look, what a beautiful dog. What does he do? How does he help you? I mean, I appreciate that, but he's just, it, it's not your business. And it makes, not just me, because I'm, I don't care about what people say, but I've seen a lot of people, even well-meaning people, when I'm out placing a service dog, because I've placed, you know, over a thousand, um, and the families, they don't want to be noticed more. They already have a problem with the child or an issue that they're dealing with. And, and here you come and you start asking them questions or making them, like kind of singling them out. And a lot of these people will... I mean, basically, they won't go out. I've seen families, especially with kids with autism and such, or kids with other disabilities, or superpowers, as I call them, um, and these families actually don't want to go out because they don't want to be noticed. They're already noticed because their child is, you know, having a an issue, um, you know, or the child is having a meltdown. All the dog is doing is helping that individual to live a better life, to be more independent, to be safer, to have more of what the rest of the people in this world are privileged to have. And it's just such a joy when people come up or just, you know, walk by and just say, what a beautiful dog, you know, and and just keep going or they just smile and just keep going. Because I know I stand out. You know, I'm 115 pounds soaking wet. And my dog is, you know, 110 pounds maybe or 105 pounds. Yeah, we're the same size, you know. But I I already know when I go out or when families go out with a dog. Um, you know, I already know what's going on. And I already know that I'm going to stand out. So it's great if, if people don't kind of add to that, you know, if they just kind of, like, don't do that. <laughs> but it's really a lot of fun, I think, also um, to be able to be part of, you know, something great and to let people know how, um, you know, how service dogs can be used. And for me personally, I don't mind if I'm stopped 
And, you know, I'm standing, you know, looking for something in, in the grocery checkout line or if I'm, you know, looking down the aisles. I don't mind if I'm somewhere or sitting somewhere and my dog is at my feet. If somebody asks me a question, because I, I want to educate people. But so many of the people who are out there, you know, vast majority of things that say service dog on them, probably, I would say probably 80% are not service dogs. They're fakes. Just people, horrible people pretending they're disabled so they can bring their ill-behaved, you know, mutt with them where it shouldn't, you know, it doesn't belong and it shouldn't be. And a lot of times those ill-behaved dogs that people drag around with them, that the dogs don't even want to go with them. They'd rather be, you know, at home laying on the couch or something, you know, drinking water and eating a cookie um, and people drag them around. But a lot of times we see that happen where um, people are, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, people are selfish, narcissistic, you know, the B word there. Um, and they just bring the dog and their dogs will go after our service dogs. And I've seen that. I I can't even think of how many times now, well over a dozen between Savannah, Wyatt, Wispa. I mean, I mean, my dogs, my service dogs have been attacked on airplanes. Wyatt was attacked on an airplane by, a, you know, a wannabe, a German Shepherd that was supposedly a service dog. It, it's just, it's just unbelievable the level of what people will do, what people will, you know, will st- will will sink to, and I think for most people to be able to understand what it's like, it's not really easy to do this. It's not really fun for us to do this. We would rather not have the dog. But be kind if, if you are going to ask questions. Now, what kind of service dogs are there? Because people always ask this question and they're like, oh, what is, what's wrong? What do you need the dog for? If you're going to ask somebody, which you really shouldn't, but if you insist, just say, oh, your dog is, is beautiful. You know, what's his name? Or, you know, do you have a moment? Do you mind if I ask you a question about him? And this way you're being kind and saying, you know, do you mind if I, you know, if I ask you something that's really personal that I have no right to know, I would say, sure. And they say, well, what kind of tasks can a dog do? That's a much better way. If you want to say something, say, oh, my gosh, I love your service dog. It is beautiful. Do you mind if I ask you any questions about him or, you know, things like that? And if the person says no, then say, oh, thank you. You know, I'm sorry, you know, trouble you, whatever. But if they say, yeah, no, I don't mind, don't ask them what the dog does for them, please say, well, what kind of tasks can a service dog do for people? Because nine times out of ten, the person's going to say, well, for me, you know, he checks my blood sugar and he keeps, you know, make sure that if if my blood sugar is too low or too high, that I take care of myself or, you know, oh, he helps me with mobility or, you know, whatever. That's usually what you'll get. But when you say, well, what's wrong with you? Like, why do you need a dog? Or the, the, the dumbest one that sets me and most people off very quickly is, well, if they say, what's wrong? You look perfectly healthy. Why do you need a service dog? I, I have had that said to me, spoken, questioned to me more times than I'd like to forget. And I would say, well, gee, there's nothing wrong with me. What's wrong with you? Your mom didn't teach you manners, apparently. And they go, oh, well, you just you just asked me. And ma'am, what, what size brassiere do you wear? When's the last time you had your period? I mean, and, and, you know, we have some jokes. And, and no, don't ask them. But 
when people are insistent and it's none of their business, I have a problem with that. And I, it's not that I have a problem with it for me. I have a problem with that for other people who are being asked the question and shouldn't have been asked that question. So some of the families I deal with. So dogs can do anything. And, you know, maybe we'll next week we'll really go into that. Thomas will be super happy about that. But maybe we'll go into that in detail, more detail, that, you know, what types of things, because there are so many things that a service dog can be trained to do. Um, for us, we train dogs for mobility and balance, for lift assist. Um, we train dogs for allergies, like for a dog to go into a school with a handler um, to check to make sure that there's no peanuts or there's no whatever the allergen is before the child goes into the school. We have dogs that can help you take your medication. So, for instance, if you are on medication and you forget, uh, a lot of people with narcolepsy and with sleep disorders, they have an alarm, the alarm goes off, they get up, and they have narcolepsy or sleep disorders, they fall right back to sleep. Well, the dog can continue to alert and, and you know, push or poke or prod or alert and then, you know, do a skill or task to make sure that that person has completed that. Um, the dogs can open doors. They can do laundry. They can be guide dogs. They can be hearing assist dogs. They can be autism service dogs. And autism service dogs are not a thing. Autism service dogs are many things because autism is a spectrum. It's not one thing. It's so many things. So, you know, if somebody says, oh, I did an autism service dog, that means nothing. You want somebody to say, yeah, I've done, you know, 600 autism service dogs like me. I've done it's, it's hundreds and hundreds of each type of service dog and multiple disabilities. So the dogs can do so many different things. But the key here, beyond everything else, is find the right trainer or service dog agency like what we do. And we don't take most of the people we speak with, we don't take them. Because if we don't feel that it's going to be a good match and that we're going to have somebody who is not only, you know, going to be helped by the dog, but that they can handle the dog. People have asked us, I can't even tell you how many times, and we've done a number of them, but Alzheimer's dogs. They say, oh, I want a dog that can help my mother, you know, in the, during the daytime, but she likes to get out of the house. Well, if she likes to get out of the house and she's a danger or risk, yes, the dog can, can help, but what are you going to do if grandma gets out and now the dog and grandma are next to each other, you know, crossing the street? You, you know, you, there's a limit to what a dog or what a person can do, and that's the dog, the service dog does not replace a human. The dog can replace a meter. It can replace, you know, a Dexcom. It can replace an awful lot of stuff, but it cannot replace a human, okay? Like one human can't replace another human. So I think that's all stuff that is very relevant and I think is important. And I hope you all can kind of get a little more sensitivity when you are looking at, you know, in the future, when you're looking at, you know, a person who has a service dog and not making them feel bad about it. So anyway, I can't believe it, but here we go again with timing, the time running out. And uh, so because of that, we are going to let you guys go and we are going to see you next week. 
So have a great weekend. Enjoy the good weather finally. Enjoy the fall. And still, those of you warm climates, even those of you guys around here, remember the car can get 30 to 40 degrees hotter in the sun, even if you have your windows open. So please leave your dogs at home where they want to be anyway and stop dragging around stores. We love you. Have a great weekend. God bless. 